Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Reality TV Rehap Ups for Season 7, Episode 1 of The Amazing Race Canada. And here to take their place in the circle of podcasts are your wonderful hosts, Jessica Lees and Dan Heaton. Hello, Dan. How are you? I am great. I'm just so pumped up now to see The Lion King. I'm, I've bought 100 tickets based on this episode. That's fantastic. Are you trying to knock Avatar out of the most watched movie of all time slot? Because I think that's a thing that's happening now. <laughs> I don't think this movie may do it, despite some really epic racer readings of the trailer. You know, that that really was emotional for me. I can't believe that they got Disney to sponsor the Amazing Race Canada. So this is certainly bigger potatoes than making Survivor contestants watch Jack and Jill. Yeah, I saw this last week when I looked at the list of sponsors, you know, and there's a lot of new sponsors. I noticed Disney. I'm like, oh, that'll be interesting. I wonder what they do with that. I didn't think it would be the first task of the season. So now I'm thinking, are they going to have something else or is this this is it? I think I'm not sure they can top this in terms of big marketing for a giant company. Well, now you've got like all the tinfoil hats out there saying, what if the final memory task is a Disney task and there's a Disney challenge on every leg? I don't think that's going to happen, but I'm just throwing it out there. Now, there are many sponsors this season, so we will see many tasks with sponsors, which is okay because not to jump on that train yet, but I thought it was a fun premiere. I Every season, I look at, I you know, we jump in, it's the summer, and all of a sudden the Amazing Race Canada is here, and then the premiere comes, and I'm like, oh, I forgot how much I love this show. Which is funny, because the Amazing Race US just ended, so it's not like I haven't seen Amazing Race for a while. But still, there's something about Amazing Race Canada that just makes me happy. Is is that true for you? It's definitely true for me, Dan, and I feel like it's just heightened now, because sometimes, I'll be honest, Amazing Race US is kind of a joyless slog. And I get to the end of it. And I'm like, oh, that's over. And then I frequently have to dive right into Amazing Race Canada. And I'm reminded of all of the things that I love about Amazing Race. But this season, this past season, Amazing Race US was amazing. No pun intended. And I was so excited about it all the way through. And it wraps up. And then it's like, I don't want this to be over. I need more Amazing Race in my life. Oh, guess what? I don't even have to wait a week. Here it is. And it's Amazing Race Canada, which is Amazing Race firing on all cylinders. And I really feel like this premiere delivered in so many ways. Yeah, I really like the way that, you know, you start and you say there's only 10 teams. I know most of the times they have 11, but with Amazing Race Canada, there's been 10. But somehow, just one fewer team. You come out of the premiere and I'm like, I know most of these teams already. And granted, I did probably more studying about this cast than anyone ever should ever do but <laughs> still you yeah i mean but those are bios and such. i know i know you get a few minutes with every team they do a really good job of introducing everyone quickly and then through the task you get to know a little more yes they all have their hooks some that are kind of ones we've heard a hundred times but quickly you kind of see that obviously there's a lot more to every team here than what the little hook is and the show just moves. That's the thing. You, they give you the character moments, but you never feel like we're just like stalling for time. Like things just bam, task, task, flight, task. It just goes. And I love that about the show where it can do that, but it never feels like we're just rushing for no reason. There's a point to it. it there's a nice pace to it. Yeah, it, it zips along. We had a few people point out that they really didn't spend a lot of time introducing the teams. They just said, here's their names. Here's their relationship. Let's give them 30 seconds to show them in their element. And that was all we got. It's a lot less than we typically get. And it still felt like we had enough time with them that we know kind of what they're all about going in. And I really appreciated that. And maybe some of it was down to, I think we have to dive right into our top story of the evening. We really only had to get to know nine teams because we already <laughs> knew one of the teams. And guess what? Now we've got those nine teams. And the 10th team isn't going to be taking up their airtime. Yeah. And it was interesting because we did see a lot of Jet and Dave, but actually it wasn't as blatant as I expected. I actually thought we'd see even more of Jet and Dave, especially given where they ended up getting eliminated. You know, I figured we could have seen that for a half hour of the 42 minutes. But um, 
it made me happy to see them back. It's really interesting because we had the recent U.S. season. I will try to stop mentioning that season, but we had an old school team from many years ago come in and look even better than they did the first time when they were dominant and just kind of glide through the race and mostly have very few hiccups. And that's kind of the way it seemed to start for Jed and Dave, where I thought, wow, it looks like they're just going to fly right through this, just like they've done before. And then a big thought. I don't even know how it happened, but bam, they're gone. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure out the one thing I will say for this outcome. I may not know what the hell just happened to Jet and Dave, but I think we can all say with some level of impunity that there is no way Amazing Race is rigged at this point. because. If there was anybody that they would have wanted to set up for success here, if they were really going to call non-elimination legs on the fly, as many viewers have accused the show of doing in the past, they would have done it here. They would have done it to save the fan favorite team that Canada had just voted back into the game. And the fact that this was not a non-elimination leg and Jet and Dave got voted in by Canada after much fanfare and then were just as quickly eliminated from the game. That's not an outcome anybody would ever have rigged. Am I right? Oh, yeah. And I actually thought they might have made a non-elimination just to be safe, just to make sure whoever, whichever team got voted in, that they were not going to get eliminated in the first leg. Like, I was wondering, I thought, you know, like we saw even, I keep referring to the U.S. season, but they had a bunch (laughs) of non-elimination legs early. I got to stop it. But. I almost thought we might get one here just because the show wanted to make sure they got at least two legs out of Jet and Dave. Now, that would have been predetermined before they knew they would be last, but just in case. But I think it's crazy to me to think that there was so much fanfare and uh, they're done. That's it. We got, you know, and now I look at it and I go, what's going to happen with this show and returning teams in the future? Because. I assume we'll still see a full All-Stars down the road, but they do this and it's just like, well, but I do think, like you said, we had a few listeners who brought this up too. The show probably didn't care if they won, but I can be assured they wanted to see a lot more of Jet and Dave than this one episode. I I can't think of any any universe where anybody would have wanted this. I I was surprised, frankly, that they didn't take precautions to make sure that Jet Dave stuck around a little bit longer, but I guess that just proves that anything can happen on this show. And I think anything can happen even more on this particular iteration of The Amazing Race than it can on any other show. But to your point, Dan, I think that's a very interesting thing to think about. What does this mean for returning teams? If we ever get an all-star season, the really disappointing thing is we've kind of already used up Jet and Dave. Can we bring them back again? Or Amazing Race Canada is not going to want to bring back a team now that's gone out first. It's like you are only as good as your worst finishing spot, right? Yeah, I think it's really not that likely. And that's too bad in a way. But, you know, I talked about this last week where I had this weird feeling they were just going to like get in a car and drive the wrong way. But I figured they make the mistake early in a leg. And then they, because you've seen this before. I think of, we talked about the early, fairly early exit of Robin Amber from All Stars or whatever, but that was episode four. To have a team come out and just seem just, I think too, I think they really felt the pressure. I think, I don't know, they seemed to be fine when they were doing tests. They up to the zip line and after that, which is most of the leg, they were in control. But I think they just got some really bad. Actually, we can blame this on the people of Kamloops, British Columbia, because obviously they got some very bad advice. Forget that they didn't take that map that the camera pulled in on in the convenience store very nicely while they were on the phone, but they should have gotten better advice. People should have helped out Jet and Dave. This is definitely not their fault, right? (laughs) Ah, Dan, I'm going to have to go ahead and disagree with you there. I think the people of Kamloops gave perfectly fine directions. I think someone on Reddit pointed out it looks like they had driven 80 kilometers south all the way to the neighboring town of Merritt. And Dan, I don't know how much time you spent out in the West, but out in these flat areas of Western North America, it's not like 
you have town, 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 and you just kind of seamlessly move from one to the next. It's like the town ends. There are literal city limits and then there is nothing. And then there is another town several kilometers down the road. And what happened here was they reached the end of Kamloops and Circle Creek Ranch, a little bit outside of Kamloops. Merritt, British Columbia, a lot outside of Kamloops. It looks to me like I looked this up on Google Maps and if that's where they were, they just basically there was a turn and they didn't make it and they just kept looking for the turn for another hour. Yeah, I think so. And there's even parts in Missouri where you can drive for a long way without another gas station or exit or anything. And I know it's even more further to the west. So I'll I was speaking in jest, anyone in British Columbia or Kamloops, obviously. I did not blame you for their loss, but it's, I mean, the show made a really big deal about them not getting a map. And I did see some other teams, a lot of them with maps that we saw, but we didn't see all of them. It wasn't entirely clear. Some people did stop for directions and had more luck. So this does seem like partially bad luck, but this was also, it just seemed like, they just were a little off, which you kind of maybe can expect. A returning team is going to feel different pressure than a team that is new, especially a returning team that was voted in by Canada. I think they didn't realize it, but they probably were just... I'm not trying to just pick on Jet and Dave. I mean, anybody can drive the wrong way and get eliminated. It just shows you when you do self-driving that it increases the variability for teams to make mistakes. And that's why I really like that they do so much driving on this show. Well, it's an interesting thing, Dan, something I was thinking about a lot watching this episode. And we're going to probably talk about a lot of these instances in greater detail. But the one thing I like about the premiere episode of any given season of Amazing Race Canada is that there is a lot more room to make mistakes. And I feel like you have several teams, every series premiere that tend to make huge mistakes that would get them eliminated in any other iteration of this show and, in fact, would get them eliminated on any other leg of Amazing Race Canada. But because the show gives them a lot more room to catch up and learn from their mistakes and make up time, it's not a race-ending mistake, necessarily, if you do something really big and stupid. And I think maybe Jet and Dave may have been counting on other people to screw up and may have gotten a little cocky there in the first leg. I think different pressures certainly were weighing on them, but it's also they had to think, well, we've been out here before. We know what this is like and we know how much room you have to screw up. And so other teams are probably screwing up just this, just as hard as this. And it turned out that there were a lot of teams that made some big errors, but some of them ended up not necessarily mattering all that much in the grand scheme. And some of them probably would have resulted in these teams being eliminated if Jet and Dave had remembered to buy a map. But I mean, my thought on it is in season one of Amazing Race Canada, everybody was figuring everything out all the time and people made big mistakes like that. But you also had these great moments like you had Brett and Holly hiding all the maps. So a lot of people didn't even have maps, right? <laughs> yeah, and I think too with um Jed and Dave in the first season and that I was thinking about this because they they started out and they were doing fine and they were enjoying it and then they had that stretch where things went really well and I know they got eliminated because you know Dave struggled in a roadblock and they they ended up falling there but I almost look at it as for the most part the way they got eliminated was based on a task they didn't have experience like this from what I remember. And I'm sure someone can be like, hey, Dan, in episode five, they were no, I'm just saying that in general, I feel like things went pretty well for them. They had pretty good luck. They were solid racers. And like you said, the show was so new that everything was kind of chaotic where you're to season seven. And I think they come in and they're they're athletic. They're good at task, as we saw. They it's just a different situation where things went so well, even though they knew what it was like to be eliminated. I don't feel like they really had like this. It was a different type of elimination. I'm not sure that they were ready for something like this to happen. Well, Dan, the one time I think they flirted with getting eliminated other than the time they were eliminated back in season one. I do want to highlight leg two of season one where they were in Vancouver and they had some trouble with the tasks and kept switching back and forth the tasks. And I think I remember back in the day, I did not 
do a podcast about this because we didn't know how much fun this season, this particular iteration of Amazing Race was going to be. And I remember highlighting that when they screwed up, they didn't put a ton of pressure on themselves. They just like, oh, we sucked at that. Let's go do something else. And it seems like maybe, maybe rather than letting hubris get the best of them, maybe they just sort of, they sort of felt like it wasn't going to be a big deal if they screwed up once. They thought they had that room. They thought they had that chaos. And because they almost got eliminated very early on in season one, they thought, well, maybe maybe it's going to be okay. Like maybe they're going to be saved on the basis of other people doing worse. Yeah. And I think also, too, it was things were going well. And they probably, even though obviously when you say you drive 80 kilometers the wrong way or whatnot, that it's seems like something where they should had so many chances to figure it out. But I'm guessing it probably happened pretty quickly where they thought they were okay and they figured, oh, we'll just find it. Because, you know, there's plenty of times on Amazing Race shows where teams get lost, where teams go the wrong way that we never see on the show because it doesn't impact the placement or, you know, whatnot. So I think there's probably plenty of times that teams go the wrong way and it doesn't matter. And they probably thought it was one of those types of things. And then all of a sudden it was too late. Once they realized, like you saw the cut to commercials where, you know, Dave looked like, oh my gosh, this may be it. Up to that point, I don't think they even considered that they were done. And also they, you know, they got through the task. They don't know how long the teams were ziplining. They would have, could have thought it took somebody 50 tries. So they probably figured they were okay for a while. Yeah. I think there was a lack of real concern until right up until the crucial moment. Yeah. So should we go back? We can, we'll probably we'll mention them more as we go. But should we go back to the start of the leg and kind of dig into that? I think so. Um, this is they start things off in a very public fashion. I mean, everybody knew who was racing. They knew who Canada's choice was right out of the gate because this is basically a very pedestrian heavy square in the middle of downtown Toronto that I think we've even seen this exact location on Amazing Race Canada in the past. Uh, so this was, I think, the day that filming began. We all knew Jet and Dave were back. And then we also knew we had nine other great teams at the starting line. And I don't think much needs to be said about the starting line here. I thought it was an interesting choice to have two entire tasks at the front of the leg, take place in Toronto, and then get on an airplane in the middle of the leg. This seems unusual. Yeah, and I think it goes back to what you said about almost teams having a chance to get started, because really, these two tasks did play a role partially, but what they really led to was teams being 30 minutes apart, where I do appreciate at least there was something that was caused by these two, where they were on two different flights. But as we saw, there was still a lot of mix-ups. So, yeah, I expected, as normally, you go to your bags. Okay, we're going to X. And it's interesting. It's like, oh, you're just going down the street, <laughs> which I know it's not just down the street, but that they were going somewhere there. And like you said, then they do another thing. And I think this was all about kind of giving teams a way to kind of jump ahead from the start and also using Toronto. I mean, you're in Toronto. There's plenty of different things they could do in Toronto. There's a lot of teams from Toronto. So why not just do a few things there before we head out to British Columbia? Yeah, yeah. And it ultimately, nothing that happened up until they get to the airport, none of that really actually mattered at all because they didn't even have to try to find a flight, which I know in the new modern era of Amazing Race, it's not practical to have teams book their own flights most of the time. And to someplace... As small as cam loops, it definitely doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense, but it did sort of feel like, what have we been watching? Although the tasks themselves were okay. Really, I think the Lion King thing was interesting, although it did feel to me a little bit like a rehash of the TSN task from several seasons back. Yeah, it's funny that I mentioned that in our preview when we were talking about Dave and Arena and the team that went out that episode, um, Max and Elias, and I thought, oh no. After I made a comment about how they were going to struggle and then she just like blew right through it like it was nothing. But yeah, overall, I see I feel like it was fun. This is one of those tasks that's kind of funny because people use a lot of weird accents and they, you know, <laughs> Joanne, especially <laughs> I don't even know what she was doing. I'm not going to recreate it. You have Jet with like, you know, full on like intense James Earl Jones kind of thing. And um and, you know, it was interesting. I did like, too, the quintuple split screen 
where all five people apparently got it right around the same time, which I thought was a nice touch. But really, the main thing was two teams struggling. I mean, it was you had teams get out of there, and most of them were pretty quick. You had two teams at the top, Jet and Dave, Dave and Arena. And then a lot of teams are on the middle and then two teams that seem pretty strong that did not do so well. Yeah, I think that's what they're hoping for, too. I think they want you to see you. They want you to see the pressure get applied to at least one team in a situation like this. And I thought it was really interesting that the team that we highlighted as probably being the strongest team that had the most likelihood to win it all. That was a really tough moment for me because I'm like, I drafted them first. They seemed like they were the ones that were going to run away with the entire season. And now are they going to go the way of Max and Elias? (laughs) Well, you saw that, that Sam also thought you had to memorize it. And so he was like standing by a wall, like really getting into it. Like I'm going to memorize this and then got in the studio and the paper was there. And he was like, Oh, so I think he spent a lot of time before he even tried it, just doing that. And then Tanesh just, you know, again, I don't, th- some of the teams, I don't think did that much worse. I think it was probably 10 minutes or so, but the show really highlighted like these teams are in trouble. They are in, re- and I love the fact that they were both teams you drafted. I was like, Hey, this doesn't feel <laughs> right. What's going on? These are, these aren't my teams at all, you know, yeah. but, um, and I had that feeling for most of the leg. Except for Jet and Dave. Yeah, I mean, and Jet and Dave were out in front for most of this <laughs> yeah. leg. So it's like, wow, Team team Dan's have the best week ever. <laughs> we're destroying the world, except for we lost the team. If those uh, guys get a map. Um, but back to the show itself. Yeah, it was, I thought it was a fun task. And, you know, they obviously, it was a big commercial for a movie that probably didn't need a commercial for it. But, and I know that can be kind of frustrating, but to me, I still felt there was skill to this. It was all about timing. It wasn't about your accent. It wasn't really about, you know, obviously the words weren't hard to say, hard to say, but you saw the people that did well, like Arena, were ones that really looked at it and went like almost like you count. You're like one, two, three, talk, one, two, you know, like that. And so there was a trick to it, though I wouldn't say it was particularly impossible. Yeah, it was kind of like timing the Jeopardy buzzer. Um Speaking as someone who went down that road many years ago, um, you can see the question on the screen. But if you're relying on the question on the screen or if you're relying solely on like listening to the question, you don't get the buzzer timing quite right. What you have to do is wait. You look at the screen, right? Read the question quickly and then like focus on when does Alex finish reading the clue? And then you you wait a beat and then you buzz in because if you buzz in too early, it locks you out. Uh, And this was kind of the same thing. It was just like you wait a beat and you watch and you see when the next shot comes in, when the next shot comes in, you start talking. And I feel like there was definitely a trick to it. But let me ask you this, Dan. There is something I've wondered, and from talking to a couple of race teams recently, something I wonder about tasks like this, where you basically keep going back to be judged on a task, and the judge will tell you whether or not you've passed, and without having to do it one at a time, without having to queue up and do an activity, is there some utility in skipping the rehearsal and just going in right away and trying to do it cold just to see what you think the judge is looking for? Maybe because, you know, like we've talked about in past seasons, the judging can be all over the map, whether it's dancing, whether it's memorization, whether it's anything. The judging can be sometimes very harsh, like this one seemed pretty tough. I mean, based on timing, but other times not. Though we did see that Aisha kind of tried that where she went, oh, you know, I'm an actor. I'm just going to study a little and go. And that didn't work. But I don't think that was necessarily a terrible idea also because she ended up doing okay. So maybe, yeah, maybe instead of doing what Sam did, which is you spend more time trying to make sure you perfect it, you're really not going to know what you're doing. All the teams that went in early, like pretty much except for Arena, they all the first time looked kind of silly. But then like like Jet, he quickly adjusted and was fine. So I like the idea. I think I think there's merit to it, assuming that you're not in a situation where like, let's say there's a dance and you have to keep getting back in line or something, then that's a different story. But something where you can easily access the studio and you're not standing in some long line, which this appeared to have many studios from what I could tell, I I think it's a good idea. Yeah. And I think Sam in particular could have benefited for something like that so that he can figure out quickly what the criteria are. And I know this is very like, 2020 hindsight here, but I think before going to all the trouble of making sure you get it exactly perfect, 
just go in and knock it out once. And then you can see if it is going to take you a lot of work, then you can be prepared to do a lot of work. And if it's going to be something you can make little micro adjustments and be fine, then you're out of there much more quickly. Yeah, because I mentioned Aisha, they ended up getting to the flight third, basically behind the two front teams. So that didn't hurt her at all. It actually worked out just fine. Yeah. And so and granted, there was some swapping around to get to the flight, but they did good. And some of the others that seemed to get a little more in their own head did not do as well. But again, there was another task, though. So it, they didn't go straight from here to the plane. So I know there was a little variability with the second task, which I don't know how much we need to say about that. <laughs> this was pretty straightforward and it didn't seem like. And again, this is like the platonic ideal of task that has no bearing on the outcome of the race. And I think. There was a guy on Reddit who had these charts that he was doing for every episode of Amazing Race US where he charted out the placement of every team at every checkpoint where it said what order they'd arrived in. And so you could see the order switching. And one thing that we knew that made that season great was there was a lot of order switching in every leg. And you could look at these charts and like follow the little colored lines and you could say, yeah, it wasn't just they finished in the order in which they arrived. And I think the same thing is pretty much true across the board for this first episode of Amazing Race Canada. And I would really love to see all the switching around because I think there was quite a lot of it. But this is one of those tasks I feel like everybody rolled in and everybody rolled out. And I don't think anybody switched places. Yeah, there wasn't much. The only thing I could see is I, it's a little unclear when you get into that middle group when how the split among the few teams that ended up on the first flight versus the second, where that actually happened. Because Trish and Amy, they arrived at the Lion King last, but then Trish finished pretty quickly with that big crowd. They got on the first flight. Megan and Marie didn't. And from what I could tell, they all finished about the same and got to the to the um, food terminal about the same. So those three, Lauren, Joanne, Trish, Amy, Megan, and Marie, were all packed together. So maybe what happened in that food terminal made the difference, or more likely, they just had a different cab. So you can't really tell, but it didn't seem like it, there were any dramatic shifts. I mean, the top team stayed at the top. The bottom team stayed near the bottom. There wasn't. It was just those middle teams where there was a bit of fluctuation. Yeah. And you didn't see anybody go in there and like, this place is so huge. It's impossible. We're never going to find this. We're out. Cut to commercial. We didn't even get that. So I'm going to say this was kind of, I mean, Amazing Race Canada loves their tiny filler tasks and I'm not mad at this task, but it's, there's not much to say here. No, I also love that they make them do more things, partially because when you get to even some smaller areas, you get to see different places here. I mean, the food terminal, they had those nice shots and people are like, wow, it's really big. And it is. But I don't know that much. I just what I like, though, is make them do more stuff, even if luckily we didn't spend that much time on it. And that's the key. What worries me is when you have them do something like this, that's kind of dull and we spend 20 minutes on it. That's when you have a poor episode. Luckily, this was like five minutes, if that. So we got rolling. We had plenty of time to get on the flight and then roll out to British Columbia. Yep. And everybody gets to drive these giant pickup trucks, which is another thing I love about Amazing Race Canada, is they make people drive these giant Chevy ZR2 pickups. And a lot of people haven't driven something that big. So that's a challenge right there. And I mean, we never see any actual drama from it, but I feel like it just kind of ups the level of difficulty and you get to see a lot of different types of cars, which is I know it's product placement, but product placement keeps the lights on on the show. And I kind of appreciate it. I like that they do so much self-driving. And so I enjoyed like the shots of like trying to get their clue out of the back of the truck by like having to hop up and grab it off the spare tire in the back. Um that was kind of fun. And then not ever having driven a pickup before, that was fun too. So they get to the mine and then we get the second roadblock. Yes. And just on the self-driving, I think that's one of the keys to the Amazing Race can of success. Not just that it's Chevy, but that they do so much of that. And because they're in Canada versus going so much internationally, they can do that. So I think it's great. And and it leads to things like Jet and Dave being eliminated. But let's get to roadblock number two. So this one is they are heading out to the Ajax mine, which is no longer operational, but it does allow you to do really cool things like zip line across it and kind of play basketball into a giant circle, which, of course, is a wonderful thing when you have a former 
possibly current, but former basketball player able to do the roadblock because the person that did not do the first roadblock gets to do this. And that's always interesting with the two roadblocks. You think, oh, no, there could be someone that hates heights or there could be someone that's really bad at this. There weren't that many cases like this. I mean, you could say maybe Jill in this case might have not benefited as much compared to the Lion King. But overall, I feel like this was a little bit like the jump and grab the beaver. But it seemed to be that a little better designed where if you missed, you weren't in so much trouble. Right. I mean, because they had more chances to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree, Dan. But do you think maybe teams are starting to get wise to the strategy? Like everybody knows now if you've seen the show and I know that with this bunch, it's not a guarantee. But I think if you've seen the show and you've seen the first leg in particular, you kind of know to expect that there's going to be two roadblocks. And so it is almost to your benefit to have your stronger team member or not necessarily stronger, but more fearless, have your more fearless team member sit in reserve and have the other team member take on the first challenge with the expectation that the second one is going to be more challenging, more physically demanding, more scarier on some level. I feel like that is kind of the strategy to employ. And I think we've heard, we've certainly heard teams talk about having some sense of what they think is going to happen in either a first leg or a last leg. And kind of adjusting their strategy accordingly. And I think I would absolutely have it in my head that, oh, well, if we're not being driven on our first to our first destination and it's not something like, you know, Zipline Emporium or Gorge or Bridge or Adventure Travel Company, I think you got to assume that they're holding that in reserve for the second task. So the person that you've decided is going to do the heights task don't do the first roadblock. Wait for the second one if you are reasonably certain that there's no thrill component of the first roadblock. Totally. And you think a great example, we mentioned the TSN task from season three where they did that and that was roadblock number one. Roadblock number two was a really physical task where you had to like get on a wetsuit. You know, I still remember Brian and, and then Cynthia not having a good, good, you know, being able to do that. And the second one was this obstacle course that was much more physical. So if you think about that, just this season where not to pick too much on Jill and, and Sean, but they see that at the beginning and you might think maybe our 65 year old should do the one at the recording studio. Maybe, maybe, you know, who knows? Maybe that wasn't a good idea. I'm just using them as an example because they struggled on the second roadblock. So more doing that because the second roadblock was not as physical as it could be, but there's still, if you have somebody that's particularly good, like someone with a black belt that may have really good eye-hand coordination or something, perhaps they would do this. I know it's hindsight, but it's something we have seen in season three. And I'd have to go back to last season, but there are definitely usually at least one physical roadblock because they want to have that huge epic shot in the premiere. And if they don't have it early, you know it's coming later. Yeah, yeah. It's like... I think even if the only amazing race you'd ever been exposed to is the amazing race in your own country and you ignored everything that those damn Yankees were doing, you should know this. Even if all you watched was the DVDs that they sent you while you were in sequester, it seems like, you know, there's something epic and you can kind of plan for the epic thing and it's not going to be happening in a recording studio in downtown Toronto. Very true. And one thing that was noticeable here, too, was the wind and also some of the different ways people tried to go against it. You had the Dave, you know, using his brain. He wanted to make sure that we know he can use his brain. But, you know, working against the wind and letting it blow over, which he got at the first try. We had the Lauren doing putting the spin on the ball, which actually I think she had the most accurate throw of the day. So there's a lot of different ways to do it. The other option is just you kind of just throw it and you miss by a lot, which a lot of people did, unfortunately. But I don't know. It just seemed like there was a little luck to it and a little bit of timing. But overall, everybody mostly did pretty good. Two or three tries beyond Dave's one try which put them um, way ahead and let Arena do some trash talking, which seemed pretty harmless to me. I found it pretty funny, but some people are already kind of calling them out as being kind of um, the villains of the season. I don't know. What do you think? 
I, I agree. I think we are being set up for them to be villains. Uh, but the thing that makes me really sad in hindsight, knowing how this leg turned out, I feel like we were robbed of one of my favorite things on the amazing race, which is one sided rivalries. Yes. There is nothing I love more than one team thinking they are in this epic head to head confrontation with another team. And they're like, they are our enemies and we are their enemies and iron sharpens iron and the other team is completely oblivious to it. And I saw the beginnings of this. I saw the germination of this as we were waiting to get on the zip line at the mine. I see Dave and Arena and Jet and Dave kind of having a little banter. And I think Dave and Arena were taking it very seriously. They're like, I'm going to crush you. We're going to win. We're going to come out and dominate. And Jet and Dave are like, Psh, whatever. And I feel like if that had been the recurring theme all season long, if we'd had a whole summer of Dave and Arena being very earnest in their trash talking and Jet and Dave thinking it's hilarious, that would have been the best season ever. And I'm sad that this is all we're getting of it. Yeah, I love that moment where Jet's just like, so what happens if he doesn't get it? And she's just like, he's going to get it. And, he, and she thinks he's like, again, yeah, like being very earnest. He's like, he's like, there's this look where she's really into it. And he's standing behind her, just like knowing he's on camera, making a ridiculous face. And I'm like, this is why returning team like this, we were robbed too. I'm not even talking about their legacy or how well they do, but just they're so, they know they're on a TV show. <laughs> Jet and Dave do. That's what I will say. But also this goes back your example of the one-sided thing. We're going back to Amazing Race US episode number one mm-hmm. with, with Frank and the Guidos, where the Guidos are just like, hey, we're winning. And Frank is getting so angry and he thinks they're in a rivalry. And it's like, no, they're just on the show. So this you're making me sadder about this result more by the minute here, Jess. I, I don't know if I can keep doing this podcast. Oh. The season is done to me. Oh, please continue, Dan. I mean, what am I going to do without you? You are the floating goalpost to my big yellow volleyball. And it does it does make me sad because I feel like this was a dynamic that would have been great. But I do think that even without this great enemy, even if they vanquished the big boss in episode one, Dave and Arena still have a lot of story to them. I think their intensity is something we don't see very often on Amazing Race Canada. And they're also... They're clearly very good at what they're doing, and I think they're going to be around for a while now. I am very curious to see, like, all of these other teams are playing an entirely different game. And while it won't be quite as pronounced as it was with Jet and Dave, I think we could still get some of those moments. I think so. And I think they're one of those teams where they're going to be like, we have to finish first every week. We have to prove that we are the best. They're not a team that's going to finish fourth and, like, be so thrilled. They're going to be like just so into winning, which they probably will do very well early when the express pass is gone, when the U-turn comes up. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's hard to be this intense and this it's been one like, but you come out and you just blow through the competition and finish first teams are going to notice and it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. It, it could be very much like Colin and Christy 1.0 and they certainly coasted very far on intensity and on needing to be first every leg. But in the end, it wasn't enough for them. And they had to find inner peace before they could really secure that vid- that victory. So, you know, maybe we're just being set up for a 15-year-long game. Or then they come back and um, Dave has given up his bare knuckle boxing. Oh, I did like the moment, too, where he's like, I'm champion of the world. And they're like, just the world? What? (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know. Maybe he got it. I think there was. It's so hard to tell because they actually Dave and Aria did not seem as intense as I expected. They were intense, but a little bit. There was. I don't know. We'll see. I try to give them a little benefit of the doubt because they did seem to be having fun on the show which is something we don't always see with the intense front runners. They seem to enjoy being together, but I agree. If they finish six, the enjoyment's going to go woo like down the really fast if they start to finish further back. Yeah, we really are going to have to wait and see how they respond to adversity because it's not going to be a cakewalk the whole way there. And if they are the kind of team like, let's just put them in front of a broken ox and see what happens. That's all I'm saying. Yes, it, I think it's going to be epic. You know, I also saw at the starting line, they were in like karate poses. She was as they were about to start while everyone else was just standing there smiling. 
So you get you get where we're going with the season with this team, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I'm I'm now I'm really excited to see them. I think they're going to bring a lot to it. But I want to backtrack for a second and talk leg design for a second, because this is the kind of thing that I think Amazing Race Canada does so well compared to almost every other version of the show. And that is when they have this like scary thrill task that brings like the epic sweeping vista shot and like people, you know, with the GoPro in their faces going, this is awesome. That's important. And that's a key component of any show about travel. You need to feel like there's something epic and thrilling about it. But Amazing Race Canada adds a new layer on this. Almost every time they do a task like this, they put something on there that has some skill to it that you have to actually do something in order to pass the task rather than just getting strapped in. I feel like maybe the indicator of a good thrill task is if you passed out three seconds after being strapped into the harness, would they still count it as you having completed the task at the end of it? And with this one, obviously the answer is no, because you had to make that goal. So I feel like could an unconscious person do this task? That's the marker of... Is this a good task or not? If it, if the answer is yes, then it's not a good task. If the answer is no, then I think your mileage may vary here. So I did like that people actually, there was an active component to it as well. And that meant a few people had to do it over and over again. And I understand that's not always practical, but here I think it was used to great effect. I think the best instance of this was, I believe, season four, when they were out on top of the cable car and they had to crawl. And if they slipped, they would fall and bungee jump and they had to bungee jump over and over and over. I think that was maybe the best Maybe the best Amazing Race task of all time. I'm just going to go ahead and put that out there. And this was in that vein. I don't think it was quite as epic, but it was the same in the same spirit. Yeah. Very few like even Heights tasks make me go, oh, my gosh, like hold your breath for the teams. But that one was an example. Yeah. What I thought was good about this one compared to last season or even the one where they bungee jumped is in that case, if you missed or if you fell off the amount of effort and time to get the person back up there, it, it created this giant split between teams that did it and did not. Even last season, we saw that too, where teams were jumping and they had, if they grabbed it, you were so far ahead. This time, because you're crossing the gorge, and yes, you do have to come all the way back around. I'm not really sure if they got in a car, I assume, probably because it was very big, but at least there was a situation I felt like where it was designed better in one way because there's skill. And if you miss once, it's not like so it's not so easy too. I got nervous at first when Dave missed. I was like, oh no, this is like he's done. And then everyone missed basically. And I thought, oh, this is good. This is hard. The skill is good. And I, I agree with you. It's it's a tricky balance, but it's much better than like sit in a race car and go around a track. No, make them drive it. That's kind of the switch. You gotta make them do something, not just sit and say woo. That that gets boring <laughs> after a while. <laughs> there it is. There's our hashtag. Sit and say yeah. woo. <laughs> it's basically true because you've had plenty. We've had legs of, of shows where basically they're just saying, woo, this is amazing. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, that's right there in the title. For 10 years. Yeah, I get it. I get it. We've <laughs> yeah. seen it. Yeah. Do something else. Yep. The world is a is a vast and beautiful place. Got it. Great. Move on. Um. So moving on, I think we get to the point where. The entire race hinges on this drive out to Circle Creek Ranch and the task itself. I don't know how much there is to say about it, but boy, the getting there, that was something else. Yeah. And it's interesting. I I mean, there were other teams that had to ask for directions and such. But again, this is where the chart of the placements would really help me right now. <laughs> but <laughs> you did see that most of the teams that that finished the zip line ended up in a similar place, not in exactly the same place. You did have that situation, again, where a lot of the teams bunched up all at the Circle Creek Ranch task. And really, that task, I enjoyed it mostly because you got to see the racers in really funny poses when they realize you can't move, that if you move, you're lost. So there's a lot of just standing in like matrix poses or something, trying not to move. But really... This didn't play because of Jet and Dave. This didn't really play a big, you know, the actual task, a big part in the race. But again, another extra task. I still appreciate that they did not go right from the zip line to the pit stop. And like you said, making them go somewhere else first is what could have cost Jet and Dave. Because who knows if they had just said, 
go right to the bike ranch, maybe they find it. And by adding this extra task, you change the whole complexion of the leg. Yeah, I think it's really interesting to contemplate. And I feel like these having these two relatively meaningless extra tasks in here, not only did it actually end up meaning a great deal in the second instance, but it did kind of contribute more to the feeling that this is sort of an a scavenger hunt across Canada rather than just like show up somewhere and do a couple of tasks and check in. There's a component of going from place to place and collecting experiences that you don't get if there's just one or two experiences. Right. And if you just like go and also makes the leg generally take longer, which we appreciate the one and a half hour legs where you go to trampoline parks don't (laughs) really make the same first time don't really make the same impact. Where when you want it to feel epic, and I don't just mean epic when they zip line, I mean epic like they get to the pit stop and they're tired and they're relieved and they feel like they've really accomplished something. I mean, sometimes they accomplish something because they spent hours just walking in circles around a hill. But other times it's when they do things really well. But I just I like and even even at the pit stop. And I, I like the fact that they had to go. They had to actually navigate up the hill. It's, it sounds stupid. But that part of the leg design led to a really funny moment that almost at least flipped eight and nine, which could have been nine and ten, if not for Jet and Dave. I can feel like we've said if not for Jet and Dave like 25 times. But <laughs> but you get the idea. If not for that, we would have had a race to the basically to the mat because they put the mat at the top of the hill. So and then you saw John kind of looking over like, what's going on down there? But the little things like that make a huge difference. And I don't mean to belabor the point, but it all adds to more chances for something weird to happen. And that's kind of what you want to do when you put a leg together. Yeah. So speaking of weird things that happened, Dan, one weird thing that happened is we put out the call for questions and we got as many questions as as Rob and I would have gotten for a typical Amazing Race US episode. Like the list of questions we got for, from our listeners is truly epic, and I'm really excited to get into these. Yeah, and it's funny. I tried to compile all of them and just realized it was like I was studying for a final exam or something. There were so many, and, and there's lots of good ones, too. I know a lot of you are really sad about Jet and Dave. I feel like we did a pretty good job covering Jet and Dave. I did want to mention Owen Craig's question which I feel like I need to answer because as someone who's sad about this, but how do you heal a broken heart? And I will just say, you know, just go back and watch season one. You know, you could listen to Jess and I did an amazing interview with Dave that really should make you feel better about, about them. You know, they're going to be okay. They're, they're good guys. So I feel like, and also you can just spend the rest of the season rooting for team Dan. So that, that's what I think. That's how you heal a broken heart. Jess. You heal a broken heart by, Watching Dan's redemption arc, I think after after your Amazing Race US team did the way it did, I I think you're you're ready for a comeback, and it looks like you're poised to make one. Given that you had four of the top five teams, and then Jet and Dave, which was the right pick for anybody in your situation, who would have guessed that this could have happened? Yeah, I want to give a quick shout out to some of my teams that did so well. We have yet to mention Megan and Marie, and Trish and Amy, and Lauren and Joanne. All of them raced really well and i promise i won't do this every week but i just feel like we spent a lot of time on jet and dave also anthony and james those teams in the middle were all really solid didn't make any mistakes and i feel like they're all four of those teams which are not all mine have a chance to do very well yeah it's it's looking great and i think a lot of teams really surprised me at how quickly they took to this and how well they did. And a couple of teams surprised me the other way. Um, but I do think there's room for everybody to learn from their mistakes and kind of pick it up. I think this first leg, Jet and Dave going out, gave everybody effectively a mulligan. So next leg, I think it's going to be harder. I think the stakes get higher, but I think everybody's kind of equipped to do well. Yeah, I agree. So what other questions should we answer here beyond Jet and Dave? Um, uh, let's go with, let's go with, uh, Danielle Alcoin said, are we counting Aisha as the first five hole of the season? She's an actress, but voiceover work is kind of unique. I think it's a fair point, but I don't know if I would necessarily count it as a pure five hole. And I'm not going to break out the Amazing Race 101 drop here, but we should explain what a five hole is for those of you that have forgotten or are just joining us for the first time this season. Uh, The five hole is named after Natalie and Megan of Amazing Race Canada season two, who were Olympic hockey players. And 
in Winnipeg, they ran into a task where they had to go to a hockey rink and they had to score a certain number of hockey goals in different places across the net. And one of the places they had to score was a difficult area called the five hole. But they're Olympic hockey players. You would think this would be a piece of cake for them. Sadly, it was not. And it was the one leg that they didn't totally dominate. And it was all because they couldn't get a hockey puck into the five hole, despite having hockey be their entire lives. Thus a five hole is when you do something for a living and you are faced with an amazing race task that addresses this thing you do for a living. And then you completely choke and it ends up in failure. And I would say this is not a pure five hole just because Aisha went in early and we've talked about her strategy a little bit, but she seemed to figure it out quickly. She wasn't there until the bitter end. I think had she been there, had she kept screwing it up and had been there at the end while Sarah and Arthur are waiting for their partners, I think that would have counted as a five hole. But here, this was just like kind of a mild screw up and she found her footing pretty quickly, I think. Yeah. And also, too, I don't think her job is trailer voiceover actress. I could be wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong, Aisha. So I feel like actress is still broad enough or actor, you know, that I don't think that's specific. Now, Nikki's basketball skills is another one that people mm. kind of look at and go, hmm. They, she ended up getting out of their six. They dropped a few places when they ran around in circles around the pit stop. So but again, would you call it a five hole given that? I mean, because the example you gave the famous five hole, they were shooting on a normal goal. They weren't shooting from a zip line. So I don't think she practices basketball typically from a zip line over a giant, giant amount of water. So to me, it's kind of five hole adjacent, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is much rarer than you would think to have a pure five hole situation. And we get this a lot. Like I think the, the big one was Amazing Race US this past season, Brett LaBelle doing karaoke and not being good at it out of the gate. But he's a cop. This wasn't a cop challenge. I think it needs to be something that's part of your core identity in order for it to count as a true five hole. And you have to be really bad at it. So it's rarer than you think. Yeah, the best example we always see because they do so many dancing tasks on the Amazers Canada, but none this episode, it's hard to believe, but um, was when they've had dancers. They've had that before. Typically, though, dancers typically have done very well on dance challenges. So we haven't no had figure. a great example, but that does come up sometimes where you have someone who's a dancer because of how many times it's on this show. But I love the conversation. I think Nikki and Aisha came the closest, but there was no completely like awful example in that case. So I did, we did, we mentioned this a little bit before, but I did want to bring this up a little more because we also have glossed over the cliff bars that came up <laughs> when we went to the airport, which are a thing in the U S I know this came up. This is not just a Canadian snack. They have them in my local grocery store here in Missouri, but the question, you know, I did enjoy how they were like stock up on Cliff Bars. And the only shot they got of someone eating Cliff Bar was a quick shot of Sam eating while driving. And I'm like, that was the only shot they had because we didn't see it anywhere else. But the question comes from Mama's Pinky Toe, who says, <laughs> does the Amazing Race Canada need to do a better job of balancing brand promotion and race integrity? She was talking about more in terms of the Lion King, but I think this comes up all the time because they have a lot of sponsors. They do a lot of sponsorship tasks typically very well. But what do you think, Jess? Do you feel like they need to do a better job or do they do a pretty good job, even in this leg in particular? Well, I think it's particularly grating to U.S. viewers or even people that primarily watch Amazing Race U.S. because this level of promotion is not there at all. And it's not even there on U.S. Survivor anymore, really. But I think I think it's just it's a different way of approaching the show and sponsorship is much more of a key component in the Canadian version. And I think sometimes that just sort of jumps out because it's not what we're used to seeing. But I personally don't have a problem with it because big sponsors like that mean big companies are invested in whether this show does well or not, and they have confidence in it, and they know it's going to do well. That's a sign to me of a healthy show is if you have lots of sponsor interest. And I think there has been a lot of chatter that a lot of the big, big sponsors that 
Amazing Race Canada has had have kind of fallen to the wayside. And is it a signal that maybe the show's not doing as well as we'd like? So it's encouraging now to see a couple of really big sponsorships. And I think now's a good time to talk about the other sponsored content that you would only see if you went to ctv.ca and were in Canada or flew to Canada. And Dan, I understand you also flew to Canada to catch the web-only series featuring Amazing Race Canada 6 alumni Martina and Phil. Yes, Taste of the Race, which is a, this episode was six minutes long, but it's on CTV's website. It is a sort of competition (laughs) where Phil and Martita are both cooking food that is connected to the location of the episode. This week, they were cooking sweet and spicy pork burgers, which apparently are connected to Toronto. And just I'll try to make this short, but they they are awarded three points, the presentation point, the hero point. That's for creativity. The hero point, which comes from a chef and then the taste point, which they give to each other based (laughs) on if they like it, which to me makes no sense, because if they're really competing, why would you give the point to the other person? Which makes me wonder, well, I know the answer to this question, how much of a competition this really is. But also to note, Phil has never made a burger in his life. So this is a big moment if you want to see Phil make a burger. But just overall, this is a commercial for Dempsters. But I will say it's worth trying to find if you can't because you get to spend some time with Phil and Martina. And yes, it is them not in their amazing race element, but they're still they seem to be having fun. So I found it entertaining, even if it was a little odd and reminded me a bit of like watching Chopped or some other show on the Food Network, but at a short subject in a weird studio. So what do you think of this, Jess? Well, Dan, this begs the question, if Martina screws up one of these food challenges as a home economics teacher, are we counting this as a five hole, even though it's not a proper Amazing Race Canada challenge? (laughs) So we're going to have to do a... Keep track of the five holes on tastes of the race because, you know, there's going to be one week where this one. Oh, Martina was the winner of this one because, you know, she can make a burger. His his burger was like (laughs) too large to eat. Those poor onions. (laughs) He's clearly never cut an onion either. So it was not the best choice. So, Phil, you know, she was nice and gave him a point, but obviously he did not get the other points. But there is going to be something I am sure that he will excel excel at and she won't. So I think that's a five hole. And really what makes me happy is they're doing this. We had something a few seasons ago where Steph and Kristen drove teams around in a car, which I never really watched much of. But I think it was a similar type of thing. I think these types of teams, it gives you an indication of where the show will go when we see a full all star season. And I also wonder if Phil and Martina might have. They might be holding the back for that, you know, maybe, but mm-hmm. um, rather than putting them in front of the fan vote here, or maybe they weren't ready. But I think there's a really good sign that we will likely see them again on the Amazing Race at some point. Yeah. And even if we don't like anything that gets me a little more Phil and Martina in my life is a good thing because they were my favorite thing about last season. And I am so happy that they have found a way to bring them back, even if. It's not on the race proper. Yeah, there'll be no, I don't think they're going to be eating large quantities of pie, which is good, but um, which led to one moment, but they were just fun throughout. And I think um, the Martina, I even think threw in a like, um, you can do this to herself or something to kind of call back to her climbing that pole, which, you know, was a lot, but um, I think it's gonna be fun. If you can, if you can locate it, you know, Martina posts links to it, but I know that they are kind of blocked for Canada, so I did have to make that flight that I'll keep having to do. So my bank account's going to be a little lighter now from all the flights. Yeah, well, that's that's going to be rough for you, Dan, because once my team recovers from this week and starts crushing your teams, I think whatever terms we determine we're going to have for this prop bet this year, I think you're going to be losing and you're going to be out even more money. Yeah, because we did have a question from the Melissa bot saying, should we do some sort of count this year? To give a little history, we did the KISS count last season alongside Adam and Courtney, the um, winning team. And then two seasons ago, we did the Giver count, not connected to Team Giver, but um, also trying to keep track of that. I don't think the motto of Anthony and James, it was said once, I don't think that's going to require a count. I think that the total will be like six or something for the season. So that's probably not going to do it. 
So what are we thinking, Jess? Um, should we, are, are te- uh, is my wonderfully drafted team going to hold up and lead to something here? I think until and unless we get some kind of countable thing that we can keep referring back to, I think we should just make it. We did a draft for our cast preview. So whoever, this is winner take all, whoever's team is the last team standing, the other person should make a contribution to the Canadian cause of their choice. And I'm even going to open it up to if there are any racers from this season listening to the podcast and you would like to choose the charity for me, get at me on Twitter. Let me know who that charity is. And that's the one I'll give to unless they're some kind of evil promoting entity. It's got to be a good cause, right? Yeah. And if it's and it could be a case, too, where if we will mention the charity and what they do, and if listeners also want to support that charity, I mean, obviously, there's no requirement or anything. (laughs) But if it's something that you must do it or listen, but if it's something you want to do, then that would be cool. And then, you know, it's it's not I don't think it's going to be as defined as the contest, but we'll see. Maybe someone will come up with a big, you know, Arthi and Dinesh did say they did say I love you at least three or four times. So I don't know. Keep track of that, because if that becomes a thing, I don't know. That was the only thing I noticed more than once. But again, something like that. I don't I don't know. I don't know if if, um, if that's going to carry over the whole time. I, I don't know that everybody's going to be loving each other by the end of this race, Dan. Uh, things can get kind of rough out there. Yeah, the total is three. That's yeah. the total for the season. And I always I always err on the side of like, they're going to do something 150 times and then they do it six times. And then I, I, I always lose the whatever it is count. So it's okay with me if we don't count anything this season. But keep your eyes open, viewers. If you see something, say something. Let us know what you want us to be tracking and we'll consider tracking it, I guess. Yeah. So do we want to do any more questions or do you think I think we've got this one sewn up? I I think we're about at the end there. Um, So just got to do a little housekeeping around here. The most frequently asked question we get here at the Amazing Race Canada wrap up is, how do I watch the Amazing Race Canada if I myself am not in Canada? And I'm here to tell you, it is not easy. There are many solutions. Obviously, you can just fly to Canada every Tuesday. Not saying that's what we do, but, you know, that does get expensive and it's not necessarily practical. So the most practical piece of advice that I can give you is that you should become a patron of Rob Has a Podcast. RHAP patrons receive a number of perks, including access to a secret patron-only Facebook group. You can connect with other fans. You can talk about all things reality TV. But most importantly, you can talk about where do you watch Amazing Race Canada if you yourself are not in Canada. In fact, usually links to view it are posted in the group by other group members shortly after each episode airs. And that's actually how I watched it this week. It was reliable and and it was very helpful. Um, So if you like our podcast and if you like Amazing Race Canada, I hope you've subscribed to us. You can find new episodes of this podcast in the Reality TV Rehap Ups feed or in the Rob Has a Podcast Amazing Race feed. And episodes are typically going to drop over the weekend after each episode airs. And I know that's not ideal because episodes air on Tuesday, but it usually takes Dan and me a day or two to find the time to watch it. And then we have to find time to record. I think typically we are going to be recording on Thursday nights this season, and I'll try to aim to get everything up by Saturday morning. We love getting feedback from all of our listeners, and there are many ways to let us know how you like the podcast. Leave us a review in the iTunes store. That helps us out. That helps other people find the podcast. And you can also leave a comment on the page for this episode on robswebsite.com, or you can find us on the social media. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Haymaker Hattie. And I am at the Dan Heaton. And I want to say thank you to everyone for so many good questions. There were so many about Jet and Dave that I feel like we covered really well in the conversation we had but please keep sending them because that makes a huge difference and it leads to a better show yeah i think feedback is what every good podcast turns on and we really loved getting so many questions from the listeners this this episode so i hope that keeps up uh don't forget to check out everything else that's happening in the rob has podcast universe our coverage of big brother continues with daily updates and we're also covering bachelorette survivor south africa are you the one lots and lots of other shows and this week rob and i had a chance to sit down with brett labelle and chris hammonds from the most recent season of amazing race us that interview is a lot of fun so if you like them on the show definitely check that one out and i'm hoping we'll have some additional amazing race us interviews coming up in the days and weeks to come Dan, what do you have going on in your world that the listeners should know about? 
Well, if you like hearing me on this show, I also do a podcast about theme parks called the Tomorrow Society Podcast, where it's, I interview people that have either worked behind the scenes or are somehow all other involved. I just did an interview with a former senior creative director at Walt Disney Imagineering, who recently just left the company a few years ago. So that one's coming out next Monday. And you can find that at TomorrowSociety.com. And I want to make a pitch for Survivor South Africa. It's amazing. You should listen to those podcasts and watch the show. It is incredible. Oh, I'm excited. I I have some catching up to do, but I really want to get get in on this because I've been hearing great things. So that's our show. I want to thank Dan Heaton, as always, for joining me on this incredible Canadian journey. Rob Sestronino for giving us a platform. Scott St. Pierre behind the scenes. All the patrons of Rob has a podcast and all of our listeners around the world. Take care, everyone. We'll see you right back here next week. <laughs>